Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. The greatest regret that I have is those years that I lost of being able to just enjoy my children. I was so overwhelmed that I just was always trying to get away. Other moms don't need help. Other moms make it look so easy. Under pressure. Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns. Today is a continuing conversation with Joe and Karen Madero. We're talking a true story of a family that was lost and found, an incredibly compelling story. Joe Madero, former executive with uh, UPS, senior vice president, general counsel. Uh, my friend Roger Marsh here sitting next to me also would say a distinguished alumni of Cal State Fullerton here in Southern California uh, because that's, uh, that's where Roger went, and Karen Madero, who has written a wonderful book. It's called Back Roads Home. I literally finished it last night, The True Story of a Family Lost and Found. It's an authentic book about a family that uh, learned a lot of good lessons through this process, but sure didn't have it together, and probably a lot like your family, and I know like my family. They live in the Atlanta, Georgia area, as well as Dana Point, California, where I live. They've been married for over 40 years. Welcome back. Good to have you. Thank Thank you, Jim. You know, we were talking in the previous broadcast, and we pretty much talked about your marriage, and there's so much more to the story. But uh, Karen, I did want to read something out of your book that I thought was kind of your big idea, if you would. And I think a lot of us who would read this would say that this is partly how we feel. So here I was, you write, you say, I've been married for 15 years, and I was floundering. And I think so many marriages and families are floundering today and not thriving. You said, my boys were ages eight and six at the time. They were becoming assertive each day, and I took their quest for independence as a personal assault. And I think a lot of times that is the case with moms, probably more than even dads. I felt alone, abandoned, and uncertain about my identity, my marriage, my ability to parent, and I needed a place where I could get my bearings. I wasn't quite sure how spending a week in a senior citizen's apartment building, you're going to have to explain this, with an 80-something cowboy was going to provide that, but I sensed it was what I needed. That pretty much summed up your life, at least at 15 years into your marriage, wasn't it? That's true. Um, And the 86-year-old I was going to visit was my grandfather. And um, I really felt the need to connect with him as I felt that all the connections in my family were dropping off. Uh, Children uh, love their mother if uh, you give them half a chance. But um, I found myself being um, kind of under attack sometimes in terms of always having to discipline. Um, and also because Joe traveled a lot, I, that role was, was left to me. At times you were kind of a single parent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, really a good part of the time. He actually had a European assignment, so he was gone for you know weeks at a time. And um, I found I had no place where... Um, I was nurtured, and so I went to see my grandfather, and um, we kind of needed each other because uh, he was struggling with identity also due to aging and uh, not being the same um, person outwardly anyway that he had been his whole life. But your grandfather gave you strength. He did, uh, and he was a joy. Mm -hmm. He was a a joy to me. Um, He was a break. 
he just gave me hope mm -hmm. that life sure. could be different, and he just sustained me at a time where I was desperate. One time you said you laughed hard with him, harder than you'd oh, laughed yeah. for years and years. Oh, yeah. Isn't it amazing how sometimes a break, just some laughter, you know, laughter is the, is medicine, good good medicine. And we, when I was with him, we talked about family stories, uh -huh. and <clears throat> in a very subtle way, that um, cemented in my mind the love and need for family and made me want to have that in my own family. Right. But we would tell, um, he would tell his stories and he was quite a storyteller, very colorful person um, and just would have me uh, just laughing yeah. almost in right. tears. And, and sometimes that's even the healing side to Absolutely. that. And also it's the connection side, being connected to family, because a lot of people today, you know, aren't connected. We, you know, we live in different areas. You had to come into Texas where he was or, or whatever. You mentioned you were abandoned, and in the previous conversation that we had had, we talked a lot about that feeling in, in both, you know, both of you having that feeling in your marriage. I want to focus on the boys. We didn't talk much about the two boys, Mike and David. And how we opened this was, you know, I think they were eight and six. And you said at one time with the boys, our relationship consisted mainly of discipline. I think a lot of parents feel that way. What, what's, that all, what's that all about? Um, I think that's true. In the normal course of life, the fact that I was... Uh, clinically depressed made it even more difficult. I was just functioning on a very base level, right. trying to to. I think I was a good mother in terms of taking mm -hmm. care of them. Sure. Uh, they say I'm a lot harder on myself. That they didn't feel that loss in their own life. Um, now that I've come through it, it's a tremendous loss for me. Pro the greatest regret that I have is those years that I yeah. lost of being able to just enjoy yeah. my children. I was so overwhelmed. Um, that I just was always trying to get away, right, um, right. which sounds terrible, but that's where I, oh, I lived. I think there's a lot of moms. I just came out with a book called Teenology, How to Raise Teens, and uh, I'm still trying to figure it out, by the way. I don't have it. It's not the perfect book. But one of the things I say to a parent, and I, and I focus a lot of times on moms with this, is you know when you get your kids get to be teens, stay calm, get as emotionally and spiritually healthy as you can, and then hold on, because mm -hmm. it's, it's a tough road. You had two other things going for you. Your husband was traveling, and your husband was busy, and he was gone. Uh, not that he was a bad father, but yeah. that he was focused on some other things. And also, Mike had ADHD and some other learning disabilities, and that always complicates it when it comes to parenting. And we didn't know that until he hit about 13. So a lot of what was going on in the years in between, we didn't understand and I'll be very honest about a dynamic that we had going on in our family. Um, part of it was because Joe traveled all the time. And the other thing was the way he was raised with an, an abusive father. He was afraid to, to discipline it because he was afraid it would uh, degenerate into the kind of anger that he'd yeah. experienced well, what with his he'd dad. Sure. Yeah. So um, we had this thing going where I would discipline and he would undermine. Right, right. And... Um, that would just make me furious. Sure. And it was devastating on the boys because they really learned how to play one of us against the other. They learned that at a young age. When they became teenagers, it just took it off. It escalated. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Joe, uh, during that season, obviously when you're, I mean, it's hard enough to be married and then you have kids yeah. and then they have teens and then you have Mike struggling with some of his stuff as he got to be a teenager. How was that going with you? How did you feel about yourself as a, as a father? And we talked about as a husband, but how, how did you feel as a father during that time? Well, I'll tell you, you, you mentioned the new book you're coming out with. Uh, my brother-in-law, I won't mention which one, and I are coming out with a new book called The Practical Alternative to Good Parenting. 
<laughs> I think that will appeal to many in your audience. Absolutely. But, I want to uh, read it first. But we'll bring you back. Karen hit the point right on the head. Uh, in my family, um, uh, my father was very authoritarian. And when I did something wrong, I, I, I did get my share of spankings. But his method was to cut me off and, and not to communicate with me. And past the age of 16, never spoke another word to me. So... My reaction Much was... Much more devastating and abusive. Right? It is, it is. And and so Karen was correct. My reaction is to go the other way. And I told, I would sit down with the boys and, and be open about what happened to Mike because her grandfather was obviously not in their life. And so they, uh, I would tell them, look, no matter how bad things get, no matter what you do, I won't uh, condone or uh, help you with uh, poor uh, behavior, but I will never cut off communications. So we will always talk no matter what. And so... The, that dynamic ended up with me being p more permissive and Karen being the uh, the the one who had the you know, instead of being the protector and me being the trainer, it, it was the opposite way. And so it created a lot of problems and our kids were bright and they played that off on us. And so sure. And I think sometimes when you're in this place and then your boys, what we're going to get to at the at, after the break is is they made some very unwise decisions. Uh, they had a relationship with alcohol and drugs and and then there's an accident in there and there's just a lot that goes on. And I would imagine as a parent, you begin to blame yourself. And I want to I want to talk about that and then talk about what we can do when we get into that kind of mold where our kids are going to rebel. You know, so many kids will walk away from their faith. They will make unwise decisions with alcohol and drug. In fact, the majority of kids today will drink. More majority of Christian kids will have a drink by the time they're 16 years old. Um, that doesn't mean they're all going to become alcoholics, but, you know, 50% of kids will smoke pot. It's a different world than we've ever been in before, and you experienced that world, and we want to come back. We want to talk about that. We're going to take a break right now. Don't go away. More to come on Homeward. And this is a powerful conversation here in the studios at the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University. Homeward with Dr. Jim Burns today, focusing on the true story of a family lost and found. And our thanks again to Joe and Karen Madero for uh, journeying here to the uh, Southern California studios of the Homeward Center. And we'll have the conclusion of this conversation as we continue. Welcome back. What a story. True story of a family lost and found. Joe and Karen Madero with us here in studio today. It's great to have them with us. We were talking about your family and your boys. There was a time when Mike was just having some real trouble and you actually had him go away to school. And at school, he was introduced to two what you called magic potions, alcohol and drugs. That was a turning point for him. Uh, somebody... Uh, along the line of all the people we work with said to us, once you introduce drugs and alcohol, everything changes. Yes. Then you're not talking about just interactions and personalities. Everything changes. And because we were inexperienced in these areas, it took us a while to catch on what was going on. And, of course, the kids are, are, are quick to tell you that you're crazy and you're imagining things or whatever. So it took us quite a while before we realized uh, Michael was really in trouble, and, and we were trying to protect David from that, and so we, we sent Michael to um, a school that we thought would help him, but it turned out not to be right. a good place. And what's interesting is sometimes those schools do help, and that's what's, yeah. what's crazy. You know, some of the decisions Michael was making earlier on, he kind of carried with him, and it's not always just a parent's well, fault. Well, later, too. Michael, uh, David went to um, a therapeutic high school, and it was uh -huh. wonderful. Right. It really turned right. him around. Right. But the, the uh, unfortunately, uh, Michael in 1996 had um, a car accident that has left him with a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. 
And, and even that was a traumatic experience. It was you know, July 17th, 1996. You get a call from a medical center in right. Atlanta area. And you even had a almost a premonition. I, I don't want to say it was that in a weird way, but you'd been reading your Bible in the middle of the night. You were thinking about it. You get this call, and life changed for you and for Michael. It did. Um, I think the only reason we were able to get through this time was Joe and I had, over the past couple years, established our relationship and our relationship with the Lord so that I knew when I, I knew Michael was in trouble, and I really felt that the Holy Spirit had prepared us we, that something was going to happen. Uh, it was inevitable. And uh, when it did, we really felt like the Holy Spirit kind of just rushed in and took care of us and became in a very real, vital part of this journey uh, in a very moment-by-moment Day by day, kind of thing, and um, that made a real difference right. in our ability to handle it. Right, and even in a hard situation like this, and and you know there was this pause because the emotion in your eyes, and you know it's it's been since 1996, but yet you feel this every day, don't you? But the the turning point, there there were some good parts too, but it didn't start that way because you had to go clean the apartment of Michael's. Joe, you didn't like what you saw there. No, it's a, and I think Karen was right. Uh, for the first time, what prepared us for this is that, uh, hearkening back to the previous sections, we were on the same page. Uh, you know, I had come to the realization, uh, I had to come the greatest distance and say, we have to take hard lines, set, set lines, and say, this is acceptable in our house, this is not acceptable. We'll be, come aside you in a productive lifestyle, but we will not enable. Uh, and so, in the midst of this, uh, Michael had violated this, and, uh, and the natural result came along. And so we were on the same page, and uh, that had prepared us for this. And uh, we went to, we didn't realize, uh, I think parents live in sometimes willful ignorance. We went to clean it out, and um, we found uh, all kinds of uh, drug paraphernalia, stuff for selling drugs, for using drugs. We found, I found two sets of guns. Um, and uh, Mike, it was very apparent after talking with some police authorities later that Mike was on the verge of being sure. arrested. Sure. And so these things, uh, not you know, were a huge wake-up call, but it caused us to be together both with Michael and David, and then David came back from Cascade where he was uh, in, in his school. And from my perspective as a father, I had to switch from this uh, uh, point of we'll always have communications. I didn't back away from that, but I had to say, look, I'm answerable to God as a father, and um, and I have to answer to my maker as to what I did to do in my obligations as a father. You may hate me the rest of my life. I don't know. I'm, we're having to take hard actions with the schools and things like that, but this has to be done, and whether or not you understand it, here's my reasons for doing it. And so uh, Michael had gone through this traumatic experience, and David was still in process uh, where he was going, but I think we were, for the first time as a couple, and for me as a father, able to take that line and say, uh, this is what Christ tells us to do as husbands and fathers, and this is where our stand is, but we will always love you with all our heart. Well, I was thinking about that, what we call the transitional generation, because you know, here at age 16, your father in many ways abandoned you. Doctor, I believe her name was Dr. Leslie. Yes, was a man. It's a man. man. So there's a Dr. Leslie who walks in and says to Karen, I have never seen a dad as tender and as committed and you know that almost brings tears to my eyes that here's this man who who didn't have that growing up but yet you know here you are showing your son 
tenderness and commitment, even though, uh, you know, he was going to, his life was changed forever and he had made some unwise decisions. Yeah. That and gave you, God gave you strength to do that. He gave me that strength. And, uh, you know, this goes all the way back. You talked about legacy and generational things going back to Karen's papa. Uh, he would always talk about two things, integrity and, uh, and character. And, uh, I wanted to be the character that God wanted me to be. And I've always said, uh, even at my age at 61, uh, I, I want to finish well. And so uh, I would be there to, to love him and to project that. And I wanted to uh, make that a message that we are a continuum in the family. You talked uh, in the interim about um, some of the things in your family. And I figured I came from a big deficit in terms of fathering experience and, and mentoring. And, and so I could feel sorry for myself. But I learned a long time ago that um, in business and in, in family situations, it's not how high you go, but how far you've come. Mm. And I felt that uh, God was helping me come a long way as a father, giving me insights. And uh, it, it uh, we'll get into it a little bit, but uh, Michael's, uh, Michael's story becomes an absolute miracle. And, uh, and not only that, it has the leverage uh, since I was... Uh, we were not uh, hesitant. Uh, at UPS, we have 500,000 employees, and everybody knew about Michael's accident and my things. And um, the unexpected uh, good consequence of this is I made no secret of it, and people that have had accidents and things like that are uh, in communication with me all the time. They would come into my office. Dr. Leslie would call me when he had a particularly bad patient. Can you bring Michael in? And uh, we have a recovery book that uh, we show them, and he, and he says, well, here, uh, I'd go in, and a father is... Uh, sobbing and his, his son is in the fetal position like Michael was and Dr. Leslie would say here's Michael mm. when he was at this stage and now Michael walks into the room wow. and the father just grabs him and sobs I don't have to be there but a visual aid represents hope and uh, yeah I think hope is uh, you were asking about or talking about what joys uh, were from this experience and there's no doubt that a tragedy of that magnitude just throws your whole life upside down especially with brain injury where you're looking at something for the rest of your life that the whole family's going to have to cope with. But um, one of the joys of that time was seeing Joe's character emerge. Mm. And um, at the bottom, I knew this, that he was a person of character. But when you're really put to the test um, to see how he came through, I knew if I have to be in the boat with somebody, and there's a hole in the bottom. I want to be there you with Joe. You want Joe. That's neat. Yeah, because uh, he's, he's, he's never going to give up. Right. And so many fathers walk out right. or at least emotionally disconnect yeah, uh, uh, when there's, yeah. Yeah, when there even is more a so, tragedy. Even more so when, when his own father didn't give him that kind of an example. Mm -hmm. You said something to, to Mike. You said, no matter what you've done, my son, I love you. And I remember another uh, scripture that says... I will never leave you or forsake you. In many ways, you were God's voice, hands, arm, mouthpiece to Mike. And tell us the story. Well, it didn't come naturally. My first reaction was just a broken heart. But when, as I had time to think about this, I was angry because I had said to Michael, your life is not your own when you make a bad choice um, someday something bad's going to happen and we're all going to pay the price. Well, here we are. This day had arrived and um, and every day we were finding out horrible things, uh, the things in his apartment and all this. And I had to make a choice whether or not to uh, be bitter about it 
um, to, I, I don't know, given my personality, I couldn't really ignore it or just pretend that it wasn't sure. there. But I made a conscious choice to love him and and start over. And one thing that enabled me to do that was for the first time, because of Michael's accident, I was able to understand how God loved me. Before then, I always questioned, you know, I, how, how could he love me when I fail so often? And and I realized, look at how much I love my son and look at what he's done. So if I could love my natural son like that, couldn't is it that hard to believe that God could love me? And that was a real turning point for me in my spiritual growth as well. And there were just numerous things like that. Uh, you don't want a tragedy to happen, but the things that God does through it are, it's like they're treasures. Well, we've talked so much about this, but there is a great kind of ending to the story, even though it's not perfect, because Michael still has some, some real issues, but yet there's a, a miracle in many ways. That's true. When you think of where he started, the first time I saw him in Athens Regional Hospital, um, he was intubated. Uh, he had tubes out of every part of his body. He was in a coma for four and a half months. And during his recovery, um, after it was uh, substantially completed, we were told that he would never walk, never talk, never speak, never live independently. And yet, um, Michael has such tenacity uh, that today he lives on his own, he drives, he has his own life, and has ended up um, being a stalwart in our family, uh, filling a role that we never thought would be possible. Yeah, I think there's a, a great role here. Without, with the lower expectations uh, and the, uh, that were put on him, but people that weren't willing to give up on him and his tenacity and God's grace, uh, it has come full circle. And uh, as Karen said, he drives, and he, he, he drives uh, as good as he, he's trained on the UPS uh, seeing habits. So he's a defensive driver. And I call this a circle of life because uh, uh, Michael was never expected to be able to perform a, a uh, meaningful existence in the future. Uh, now is... Uh, has his, my parents, uh, my mother and my stepfather living behind him. My father, stepfather has kidney dialysis problems and chronic failure. And my son, Michael, who was never expected to be able to drive, takes his grandfather three days a week to kidney dialysis. And uh, that's just a picture of God's grace and uh, expectations that you should not lower for your kids. You should have high expectations and uh, and and uh, they uh, are amazingly resilient, and they want to be productive. And uh, amidst all this, that's just a wonderful story that uh, inspires me and far exceeds what I thought God uh, would do for us. And we're so grateful for that. Well, wow. thank you so much for for being there, uh, not only for Michael, for David, but for all of us today too. It's a it's a very important story. You both have great courage. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. the opportunity, Jim. And that concludes Dr. Jim Burns' conversation with Joe and Karen Madero here on the Homeward Broadcast. The true story of a family lost and found. They've written their story. Actually, Karen's done a great job of chronicling their saga in the book Backroads Home. And we encourage you to check us out online at homeward.com. You can find a link to get ordering information for that book. It's one that Dr. Jim Burns highly recommends. And now for Dr. Jim Burns, our engineer Ben Camp, and the rest of the staff, I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks so much for listening. Join us again next time right here for another edition of Homeward, where parents get real answers. 
Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.